Hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm Alicia, Kayla's mom, and you're listening to True Crime Exposed. to start branching out in podcasting and start my own little baby network. I've loved it so much in the last year that we've done this show. So I created a new show. It's called Alpha Betches and it has nothing to do with true crime, but I am one of the hosts. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can search Alpha Betches right now wherever you're listening to this show. Now, it is rated explicit, whereas this show is rated clean, so be warned for that. And I'm just going to play you a quick clip so you can get the idea of what it is. It's a fun comedy, life, mom, woman, everything podcast, pretty much. And we're actually going to be talking to new personalities every single week. New people we interview that can bring you fun information. So here's a little clip for you. If you want to check it out, remember to search Alpha Betches wherever you're listening right now. And so the fire, like I said, it's really big, so I can't see over it. Well, I walk around it. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) And this guy... I don't even remember his name. I don't. Be prepared. And I should. It should be like burned in my memory forever. I couldn't tell you what he looked like now. But he was laying on a blanket, butt ass naked. And I'm like, what is going on here? And everything in my brain is like, run. Uh, Run, girl. Run. And so, but this is like my internal monologue, like run. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, no, okay, stay calm. Mm -hmm. Poker face it. Just, you looked at it. It's over with. And he looks at me and he goes, we're just two consenting adults. Ah, You're like, I'm Here to have a good time. And I'm like... Now, for today's show, we're getting into part two of the Moore's murders. Last week, we dove into part one where we learned about the murder of Edward Evans and two of the most depraved individuals you've probably ever heard of, Ian Brady and Myra Henley. This case is so hard to talk about and so hard to hear for so many reasons because these people are just something else and the murders they committed are truly horrific. Make sure when you're listening today, you look at the title of these episodes. You look at the names of these victims. Because we're not here to memorize Ian Brady and Myra Henley's name. We always know the name of all the serial killers. But let's try to burn the names of their victims into our memories. And remember their stories. Are you ready for today's case? Okay, so we're back this week for part two of the Moore's murders. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and listen to our last episode. That's part one, and you'll need to listen to it to know what's going on. I've been waiting to see what's going to happen in the story. One ended so sad that I'm sure people have been waiting, but this is not the end. So we will have one more part after this. So I'm going to just warn you all from the beginning. (laughs) 
Okay. There's just too much. Three-parter. Yep. So we ended off that part one of the Moore's murders with the police in Manchester, England, finding that harrowing auto finding that harrowing audio tape of the murder of 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey. Now, remember, the police had found disturbing photos of Leslie as well with that audio tape. And all of this was found in a suitcase that Ian Brady had put into a private locker at the train station. So once this evidence was identified, police were smacked in the face with this harsh realization that Ian Brady and Myra Hinley were monsters almost beyond comprehension. So yes, like these two were arrested for the murder of Edward Evans and they were most definitely garbage people, but police didn't realize how bad it really was because they had both played off Edward's murder as this like accident, something that just got out of hand. Accident? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> no. I know. He, didn't he butcher him with an axe? They were both trying to play it down. Yeah. Yes, with like 14 hits. So I, I, I don't see how that's an accident. Yeah, no, definitely not an accident. But police just thought, okay, it's this one murder. They're saying it's an accident. They knew it wasn't an accident, but they're not sure what went down. Now, things get a lot darker when they find all this evidence in the murder of Leslie. Anyway, through all that discovery, police do start to realize that obviously an accident is not the case. And it was methodical. It was planned out. We know they went to the train station looking for a victim. Now, after listening to that soul-crushing audio of Leslie's murder, police connect it to a little girl that was reported missing on December 26th, 1964. And that little girl was Leslie. So soon, Leslie's mom, Anne West, was notified that they may have just found out what happened to her daughter. And that would be so sad. So it had been about nine months at this point since Leslie went missing Mm -hmm. to when police are finding not Leslie, but the evidence of her murder. That would be heartbreaking, but it would also help for closure. Yeah. Like it, at least you wouldn't know know what happened. What happened instead of guessing. I know. I would, I would hate just imagining. Not knowing would be so hard. I feel like I'd imagine the worst anyway. And hope for the best. Right. So I do think it would be good closure to just know. And then because I don't even think you could really start the grief process until you knew. Right. Yeah. Because like what if they were out there? I bet there's kids out there right now that were like abducted and are still living. Kidnapped. Yeah, for sure. Like that's crazy. So it was probably really good closure for Anne. Now, Leslie, she was four feet, 10 inches tall. She had brown curly hair and brown eyes. I know, just like you. She sounds sounds like like you. Aren't you only 4'11"? Yeah, nothing wrong with short, shortness. (laughs) No, no, there's nothing wrong. I'm short too, 5'1", but that's funny that she's only like a tiny bit shorter than you and she was 10. Yeah, that's pretty common. (laughs) But she sounds, yeah, right? She sounds really common to you besides that, too. The brown curly hair, the brown eyes. Yeah, what's funny is all these little kids are like, like all my nieces and nephews mm-hmm. are like, oh, I'm taller than you. And it's like, <laughs> that's not that hard, but yay. Yeah, you're like 
congratulations most people are taller than me all my kids are taller than me Uh, yeah yeah so leslie she also had like a really sweet smile it will will like melt your soul if you look it up remember we looked at that picture last week and she had those like huge huge adorable cheeks i like love them yes that was my she favorite a thing about Charlie. Round face. Yeah, it was the big, huge cheeks. People like love those little cheeks. So I can't mm-hmm. even handle like how sweet she is. And Leslie. And big looked, eyes. Yeah, she's so cute. And you said she looked like a little woman. Yeah. So sweet. So she was also <laughs> described by her mom and brother as being really well behaved. She loved her family. She was super smart and caring. And she was just all around like a good little girl. Her mom described her as being the perfect little girl. So on that December 26th in 1964, Leslie wanted to go to the fair. She had dressed up in a red lace dress that she loved. She slipped on this red pair of shoes that matched. And then she put on a pink cardigan and a blue coat. Now, this is the day after Christmas that Leslie wants to venture out to the fair. And on Christmas Day, her brother Terry West had given her a special gift. It was a white beaded necklace and Leslie was like, could not wait to wear it outside and show it off. So she put it on after getting ready. And that same brother Terry, he was actually supposed to take Leslie to the fair this day. But he ends up coming down with some type of sickness. He's just feeling really crummy. He's feeling gross. He kind of let the beginning of the day go on with it being up in the air. Like maybe he, if he felt better, he would take her. And he told her that. And then they waited. But he felt worse as the day progressed. Terry was sneezing. Terry was sneezing. He was coughing. And his nose was runny. So... How much older was he? So he was only 12. So he's only two years older than her. But I think her mom just thought like they could handle themselves together if he took her. But she didn't really want her to go alone. Okay. So 12 and 10. And then they also had a younger brother, Tommy. I don't know exactly how old he is. I'll try to find out. But he was also going to the fair as well. Man, I feel like times have sure changed because. Yeah. I mean. My parents probably would have sent me to a fair as well. Yeah. Like with an older sibling, but I'm I would never I don't like think today. would send you guys now. Today. I know. Yeah. I think we just have like way more knowledge of all these things that now parents today are like absolutely not. But I feel like kids back then, I mean I wasn't alive, but I've heard that they were just running around everywhere doing oh, their I own mean, things. I, I always tell you guys this. I really did. I know this is like a big joke in people, but I really did walk to school <laughs> uphill every day <laughs> for about a mile every a day. A mile. Yeah, I clocked it from because like you guys always make fun of me like, oh, yeah, right. Whatever. No, I went and drove it from my old house to my school. You did? It was when when you were adult. Yeah. Like like a year ago. <laughs> it was a oh, mile. Yeah. Because I was like. Why did my parents make me dra- walk that? A whole mile? And when did it start? When you were young? Like elementary school? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Charlie's school is like two roads away and she can't even ride the bus. She has to be taken and picked up <laughs> by me. I'm not letting her walk. I'm not letting her ride a bus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably took me like a really long way, a 20 to 30 minutes to walk there. Yeah. It would have had to take you like a half hour. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which is sad because it would be cool if you could trust like yeah your kids to walk that far. I mean, think about what great like activity exercise. I yeah, I think it's fun for little. them too. Like you meeting <laughs> up in the group walking. Yeah. Yeah, I had one of my friends that I coached cheer with. She had told me that her aunt lived here in Pocatello and they walked to school every day like her and a friend. And then one day she like didn't walk with her. If I remember right, I'd have to ask her again. But her aunt didn't walk with her friend and that friend got kidnapped on her way to school and murdered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that and that like, is why I think people, people don't just don't realize that often yeah. or that far. I think these stories like they only happen so often. But now there's so many from all the years that it's like, yeah, no. Mm. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, so a fair, I'd be kind of scared of a fair. Yeah, I think so too. There's like a lot of people there. But like we said, probably back then they were thinking when the kids are in a group, all of this stuff, like they'll be okay. So yeah, as Leslie was getting ready in that red dress and everything to leave for the fair, um, he just told his mom like, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't think I'm going to be able to take her today. I'm not feeling any better. And at this time, Terry was 12 and Leslie was 10. So, like I said, oh, we just said that, but, you know, like I said, he could have watched her at the fair. But then Anne tells him, like, it's not a big deal. She knew she knows most of her neighbors would be going to the fair, so she would just send Leslie with one of them. So, the Clarks, they were their next-door neighbors, and the mom was, in fact, planning to take her own kids to the fair. So, when Anne asked around, Miss Clark, of course, agreed to take all of the kids, including Leslie and her little brother, Tommy. But then, as they all started to head out, Miss Clark, for some reason, decides to stay home and she lets the kids go alone, which was weird because she had actually told Anne West that she would be watching the kids and that she would be with them at the fair. And that is actually why Anne agreed to let Leslie go with them. And then Miss Clark never told Anne that she was had decided not to go and sent the kids on their own mm. so it wasn't Ann West that actually did decide to let them go on their own but it was this other mom Miss Clark and this is the night that she got abducted I'm guessing mm-hmm. yeah which Ugh. you would just feel so guilty and like so mm. like you don't even tell her mom that you're not going you probably don't even think you know she probably didn't think oh it's gonna be a big deal and then it is a huge Ugh. deal yeah the guilt. Yeah, yeah. So the Clark kids and Leslie and Tommy, they all make it to the fairground safely, though. And they walk around. They're enjoying all the festivities. And then eventually all the kids are like, OK, we've had enough of the fair. Let's run home. Let's have some tea. Remember, they live in England. So I think people have tea over there a lot. I'm not sure. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Tea breaks all the time. Yes. And um, even Leslie's younger brother, Tommy, he was ready to go home with all the other kids. But Leslie, she wasn't quite ready to leave. She had been looking forward to going to the fair all day long. She wanted to have the whole experience. She got all dressed up for this. So as the Clark kids go to head back home, Leslie tells them that she's going to stay, but that she'll be home soon. And now Leslie is there walking the fairgrounds alone. Oh my gosh, at 10? I know. That's where it gets I wonder like, how scary. old, like, the oldest Clark kid was. Because I feel like if I was, like, 16 and there with him, I'd mm-hmm. be like, nope, you're coming with. From what I heard, all the kids that were there were pretty young. 
like not really old enough to Mm kind of make those decisions like "Hmm, we shouldn't leave our you know friend and little 10 year old alone they were just kind of like okay if you want to stay yeah come home later so on the same day at the fair Myra Henley and Ian Brady they head to the fairgrounds and just like they did when they found Edward they are actively looking for a victim a child that may have strayed from their family or a kid running around alone And then, of course, there was Leslie all by herself, not quite old enough to read these people or the situation. She's just young, innocent. She's trusting. She had a big heart. So when Myra Henley walks past Leslie on these fairgrounds, she's actually carrying a bunch of boxes. And this was all a part of their plan. Myra, she ends up purposely stumbling before dropping the boxes onto the ground. And then she looks over to Leslie passing by and she's like, oh, like so embarrassing. I dropped these boxes. Would you mind helping me carry these to the car? And of course, this little sweet angel is like, no problem. I'll help you take these boxes. So she walks over to Myra Henley, grabbing a box in one arm and holding Myra's hand with the other. And Myra's trying to disguise herself, I guess, because she actually has this like horrid bleach blonde yellow hair in real life. Like she bleaches it out and it doesn't look good on her. Remember, she's gross. Mm -hmm. I looked at her picture recently. Yeah. Yeah. She's like I said last time you were like shocked when I was like, she's so ugly, but like she is and looks don't matter. But like she's ugly from the inside and the outside. (laughs) she's the worst so I feel like you can say that (laughs) but when she's there at the fairgrounds this day she's actually wearing a dark brown wig and they know this because there's someone who remembers seeing those two walk out together holding hands but they thought nothing of it because you know Leslie wasn't fighting it she looks like she knows this person and whatnot So once Myra lures Leslie to the car, Ian Brady is actually at Myra's grandma's house and he's just waiting. He says that he wasn't usually a part of the luring, like everyone was a lot less suspect of a woman's intentions with a child. Myra was like the friendly face that would draw their victims in. So at this point, Leslie was about to head home anyway. So when Myra asks her if she would be willing to help her load the boxes at her house, like drive with her, come to her house and load her, help her load the boxes up there. Leslie's like, yeah, maybe, but I need to get home. And Myra agrees that if Leslie will help her take the boxes to her house, she will then give Leslie a ride back to her home. And this sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Leslie wouldn't have to walk home alone. So Myra drives her to her grandma's house where Ian Brady is waiting. And once Myra has Leslie inside, the horror begins. Myra's grandma was actually out of the house at this time visiting her uncle Jim. So inside the home. Well, yeah, the grandma. I don't think that grandma would have been helpful anyway. uh, Yes, because as we know from (laughs) Edward's murder, she was upstairs and I don't know if she. She heard stuff, but she didn't do anything. She heard a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little hard at hearing. We don't know how old she was. She wasn't home for this, though. And this is actually we're kind of going backwards because Edward's murder was last. Leslie's is right before his. She's the victim right before him. So this is before his. But yes, the grandma is gone. Probably wouldn't have been much help anyway. But inside the home is Ian Brady, Myra Hinley and Leslie Ann Downey. Now, we went over this tape in part one, so I'm not going to go super into it again because it's 
like sickening to talk about. So if you haven't listened to part one, that'd be super weird because I already told you to go back and listen to part one in the beginning of this and this wouldn't even be making sense to you. But if you need a refresher, you can go back to the end of part one where we cover this tape. And basically on it, Leslie is pleading to God to help her. She's asking to see her mummy and just being shown as absolutely terrified. Ian and Myra are being complete monsters during this tape. They do not care that Leslie's crying, pleading, or begging them to stop. Ian, he actually threatens to kill Leslie. And remember, like we talked about last episode, Myra tells Leslie that if she doesn't shut up, she's going to hit her. And then we kind of talked about how Myra always is claiming she wasn't even around during the murders. Ian dragged her into this. She was forced into this. And I had talked about how Myra said during this time she was running a bath. But clearly this tape shows us that she was very much involved. Myra's dumb. She was involved in everything. I think she just wanted to get out of prison early. She like got the victims, it sounds like. Or at least... Yeah, she lured them in. She was totally a part of it. I'm not sure why she thought saying like, oh, well, I wasn't there during the murder would help. It didn't. And she was definitely there. And this tape, for me, proves it. Now, I also said last week that I thought this audio tape recorded Leslie's actual murder. But correction, because it actually seems more like this is a 16-minute-ish tape. That was actually recorded while they are scaring Leslie and while they're preparing to kill her. So once she's actually bound and gagged, Myra and Ian strip Leslie naked and then they actually force her into bondage gear before ending this tape. Ew. Like it's really sad. Why would you even want to see that on a 10 year old? Like they're literally disgusting, creepy monsters. So after this is when the photos are taken that were found in that suitcase. Ian Brady raped Leslie before the couple killed her. And Ian Brady says that both him and Myra killed Leslie together using a cord to strangle her. And that's in the pictures? I That's not in... Like the rape? The rape he said. That they just admit to that? Yeah. Ian said that he raped her. And then like that Myra did help him kill her. So they say Ian raped her for sure, and then they say they don't, it's unsure which one killed her. But they obviously killed her together. I'm sorry, but how are you such a sicko? How 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 does a 10-year-old I, turn you on? I am sorry, but that is disgusting. I do not get it. Like, it, it's, like, depraved, and, like, it makes Ugh. me feel icky to even think about. And to be in t- on it together. What is wrong with people? I don't get it. There was this documentary that was made and a bunch of the brothers were talked to and Ann West had actually given permission to the documentary to use some of these photos and the audio tape, but the police would not release the audio tape because they said it was too, too much. Like the public just, it's banned from the public hearing it because it's so sad. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's basically just them torturing her. Yeah. And I think and she's begging. Yeah. I think Ann West agreed to have pieces of it released with the documentary because she wanted to show who these people were and like what they did. She fought really hard to make sure 
that Myra would never get out of prison. So I think that was just kind of like on her fight to show like that she was really a bad person and like a depraved person and all of that. So they didn't release any of the audio yeah. with that because the police wouldn't release it. And then they did release a couple pictures, but not fully just like cut off. So you can kind of tell what's happening, but not actually see anything. And it's really mm. sad. Actually, you should not look it up. I won't. No, I've made the mistake <laughs> in many cases of looking things up that I then later regret. Mm. So once Leslie is dead, Ian and Myra, they need to get her out of this house. Remember, Myra lives here with her grandma. So the weather is bad this day, and this is what Myra uses as an excuse to why she won't be picking up her grandma to bring her back home. Remember, her grandma's over at her Uncle Jim's house, and Myra's like, I'm not, I'm not picking her up tonight. Like, the weather's not good. But they didn't have cell phones, so she actually had to drive to then go tell him that, and then... She left and went home and he was confused because he was like, you can just drive your grandma home since you're here. Yeah. <laughs> but she was like, maybe she was just saying, oh, I don't want to crash with her in the car. I don't know. But obviously it all came full circle once he saw what they did. Mm, yeah. So we know that really the reason she's not picking up her grandma is because they have the body of 10 year old Leslie in that home. Now, because the roads were bad, they didn't actually feel like it was safe either to drive to Saddleworth more because that's kind of out there. They're more like deserted roads. So they wait until the morning before loading Leslie into their car and driving her out to the moors where they plan to bury her. And they take her out there and Myra parks the car and she waits in the car with the body while Ian has a shovel in hand and he walks out to dig a grave and then guess who pulls up beside Myra it is a police officer oh my gosh he stops and he asks Myra if she's all right like the you know it's not the greatest driving conditions and he's just making sure like why are you sitting here are you all right and Myra says she's fine. Is Ian right outside what no I don't he must not have been able to see Ian Ian must have walked back. I don't think they like dug the graves right there where you could see him from the road. Oh, okay. So he was down somewhere. So this police officer just thinks it's Myra. And she's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. And so he just drives off. And while he was there, obviously, Leslie's body is just in the back seat. It was not in the trunk? Maybe in the trunk. Oh, I just like in the car, I guess is what I meant. Like it's just yeah. there. And this police officer was right there it's not his fault or anything but it'd just be like oh like I wish I would have asked a little more or something yeah so the police officer leaves and once Ian has that shallow grave dug they bury Leslie there and then they drive off like nothing happened so on that night of December 26th when Ann West kids headed out to the fair she had been excitedly waiting for them to get home to hear how it went but when only Tommy comes running up to the house, she's slightly concerned, wondering why Leslie wasn't with them. And he's just like, well, she wanted to stay a bit and Miss Clark didn't go with us. So Leslie said she would just come home in a bit. So Anne is a, like, OK, she doesn't want to think the worst. So she does not panic yet. 
She knows that Leslie will be home by five. That's the time she needed to be home for dinner, and Leslie was pretty punctual. She wouldn't stay at the oh, fair. Oh, five? Too. I was thinking this was later in the evening. So they actually went during the day. Yes, I think they went during the day. Okay. Yeah. So that's not late. So five, not too late. And that's probably why the Miss Clark maybe thought it wasn't a big deal because it's in the middle of the day. Right. As the time passes, Anne does start to get worried, though. Terry, the one, her brother, who was supposed to take Leslie to the fair that day, but stayed home sick, he started to sort of panic himself. Quote, my mom started panicking and she went with my stepdad to go look for her on the fair. When she came back, I said, she not come back? And mom said, she's nowhere to be seen. The look on her face, anxious. Where is she? By that time, she knew something had happened. But what? I was upset. I should have been with her. She'll be all right. Nobody would hurt her. Remember, I remember saying that to my mom. Little did we know what had happened at the back of us on the moors, end quote. So that makes it sound like the moors were maybe like behind their home somewhat. Like, I don't think like the, in their backyard, but probably placed behind their home. Right. Now, it is about nine to ten months, like I said earlier, after the murder of Leslie that police find that audio tape and those pictures. And they think it might be Leslie on that tape but they needed someone to identify her voice. So Leslie's own mom, Ann West, had to go down to the police station where she listened to the tape to identify her little girl's voice. And it was her. And her husband is Leslie's stepdad, and he actually said that he like wished he could have gone down and listened to it so that Ann didn't have to, but the police wouldn't let him because he was the stepdad and not like her real dad oh I was thinking it was on video tape but it was just on a cassette tape yes it's only audio okay so they didn't see anything they could just hear it okay mm and once it is confirmed that this was Leslie on the tape the search is on they needed to find her but the search for her also led them to another murder discovery <laughs> Have you guys been able to try Hydronique Hydration yet? Remember, these are the little electrolyte powder drink packets that I've been talking to you about for the last few weeks. And if you haven't tried them, you're missing out. Because not only are they delicious, they're so important to add into your diet. Not only do they help with headaches, but they're super healthy for you. They're not packed full of sugar and caffeine. Remember, they started in the midst of a pandemic when a frontline healthcare worker started getting all these headaches due to his masks and his face shields and not having the proper nutrition. And there was a study that showed up to 81% of frontline healthcare workers were developing these headaches. And this is what made the founder of Hydronique Hydration look for a healthy drink with all the necessary vitamins and minerals, but with none of that sugar. Remember, Hydronique Hydration is keto-friendly and healthy, but most powdered drinks on the market have all that sugar and caffeine. So Hydronique Hydration is where it's at, you guys. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, plant-based, antioxidant-rich, and it's for daily use, containing all the essential vitamins and minerals that you need. And do I have to remind you, it's delicious. Their product also contains elderberry, which I love, and it has immune-boosting properties for support during cold and flu season. 
So are you having trouble drinking healthy during your busy days in 2022 and you want a sugar-free, keto-friendly vitamin drink? Give Hydronique Hydration a try. There are 30 electrolyte powder packets in each pouch, which is perfect for an entire one-month supply. You can visit their website at www.hydroniquehydration.com. That's www.hydroniquehydration.com hydration.com or you can search for them on Amazon and they are offering a discount coupon there at checkout for the next week after this ad. There will be a link in my bio and a link to their Amazon listing. So please go give Hydronique Hydration a try if you want to feel like your best self. On November 23rd, 1963, John Kilbride made his way to a local market by himself after going to a movie with some friends. He was wearing black shoes, gray pants, a white shirt, and one of his dad's vests. And his jacket had these little football buttons running down it. Now, you might remember that in part one, police found a journal with that same name, John Kilbride. And in that journal, it was just that name was just written and they had immediately connected it to a missing 12 year old boy. So John, this missing boy was John and John had six younger siblings. His mom is Sheila Kilbride and his dad is Patrick Kilbride. This was a happy family. John loved helping out his grandparents and his siblings. He loved taking care of them. And he always had this super happy and chipper attitude. He was a really good student that loved sports. And his school actually missed him so much that when he went missing, they would always come out and announce to the fellow students to keep John in their thoughts. They'd ask the students to pray for him to be found. They'd talk about how they missed him. And it's the same day that John goes to the market that Ian and Myra had rented a Ford Angela saloon car, again, with the intent to find a victim. And they rented this car on purpose as to not have anything tied back to them. And then they go out cruising, looking for a child to kill. And that's when Ian Brady spots John at the market. And he's like, this is it. That's the kid I want. Can't even imagine how you say that. Why did they target kids? I don't know if they were easier to manipulate, maybe, because I think uh, part of the reason they went on, I mean, it was a couple years before they were caught, maybe because all these kids walked away with them willingly. Mm -hmm. And so... No one ever suspected anything like people later on would realize like, oh, I saw them, but then they didn't pay much mind to it. Sickos. Yeah. So the couple, they pull over and it's on for Myra. Remember, she's the one that lures these kids in, the one that makes them feel safe enough and willing to come with this couple and trust them. She was so ugly. I'm surprised they dared to go with her. I know because she's so (laughs) horrifying looking. But this time with John, she wasn't actually alone. So she is the friendly face that makes John feel comfortable. But Ian Brady is with her. And when they walk by John, they just make some comments to him and they start into this casual conversation, just kind of acting like they're there shopping at the supermarket as well. And then they're talking with him for a bit until Ian says, you know what, like we are actually parents And we would be really worried if our child was out here alone. 
Like, I'm worried about you. I bet your parents are worried. Can we give you a ride home so that you don't have to walk away, like walk all that way? John thinks about it and he's like, oh, this actually sounds like a pretty good offer. I won't have to walk home. Now, once he's in the car, Myra says she just remembered that on their way home, they were actually going to head out to the moors to look for a glove that she lost. And they asked John if that's okay. He could come help them look for the glove. And if he did, they would then send him home with a bottle of Sherry Thatney. Do you know what that is? Mm, No. Assuming it's like an alcoholic drink. And they were sick because they were saying they were going to send him home with this bottle of Sherry that he could take to his parents as a thank you for him helping them find Myra's glove. Yeah. And John actually, he lives close to the Moors. So this seems super convenient for him. His parents will be excited. And then as they start driving over, Ian could actually feel that John was starting to get a little worried. This was actually seeming a bit weird the more he thought about it, that these people wanted him to go all the way out there to find a glove. But once they get to the Moors, they park. And John, he gets out of the car and they all start looking for that glove. Myra, of course, tries to distance herself from this murder too. And she says she waited in the car. But we have all seen from all the previous murders we've talked about so far that it's not true. She's involved. No. She was not waiting in the car. She was just involved. She knows the plan. Yes. She's a. She's involved in the plan. Mm-hmm. A full on part of this. She definitely knew what was going on. Yeah. They are equal parts in this murder. They worked with each other. They did it at all of them with each other and whatnot. Yeah. So as they're looking for this glove, it's starting to get dark and John is growing more and more nervous. He actually keeps saying that he keeps telling them like, hey, it's getting dark. He's asking if they can leave. He's saying he doesn't think they're going to find this glove. So he was pushing them at this point to get out of there. And that's when Ian Brady and Myra Henley attack John, taking him down to the ground and assaulting him. But he didn't give up without a fight. Ian actually says that John fought really hard for his life, which is so sad. Mm -hmm. Hate that. And Ian Brady then raped John while Myra helped hold him down. Afterwards, the couple strangled him before digging a grave in the moors and burying him. So one of John's brothers, he spoke in a documentary. His name is actually also Terry. Terry is Leslie's brother. And then John also has a brother named Terry. Must be a popular name back then or over in England. I don't know. Terry Kilbride, he says, quote, To see my mom and dad go the way they went that night, the worry on my mother's face, and she was going crazy. He started hitting the drink very heavy, and the house just went dead, end quote. After John never returned home from the market that day, Sheila and Patrick immediately report him as missing, and the hunt was on. They searched everywhere they could think of. Police searched very diligently. They spoke with tons of people from the market that day that did actually see John. And then the largest search up till this point was conducted with 2,000 volunteers. There was a reward put up. Everyone was looking for him, but there was no luck. 
and they wouldn't find him until years later when Ian Brady and Myra Henley are arrested for Edward Evans' murder. John's mom, she was not taking the disappearance well, of course. She made him this spot at dinner every night, just hoping that he might show up. She was going to be prepared if he came home. And John's brother, Terry, he said, quote, We're all having a meal and John is missing from where he should be. That chair wasn't sat on for two years until John was found, end quote. So this kind of goes into the beginning, like we were talking about when Leslie's mom found out, like it must just be a closure thing because we can see Sheila is same setting up a spot for her son every night and she doesn't want to let it go until he's found dead and then she can finally grieve and like accept the fact that he is not coming home. Well, yeah, you would probably hold out hope that your child is alive. Yeah. You would want to. And missing rather than yes. um, deceased. Rather than what happened to John because this is literally the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we know that Ian and Myra Hinley were arrested after Myra's brother-in-law turned them in for the murder of Edward Evans. So you guys know that me- Myra and Ian are now tied to the murders of Leslie and John. But how did the police come to this final conclusion? How did they come to find the bodies and ultimately charge the couple for murder? Well, as the police are interviewing people that know the couple, they connect with this young girl named Patricia Ann Hodges. So Patricia was neighbors to Myra's grandma there in Manchester, that house that Myra lived in, the house where Leslie and Downey and Edward Evans were killed. Okay, so how old was Patricia at this point? So Patricia is 10 years old when Myra and Ian befriend her and then when she's interviewing with the police she's 12 years old so they knew her while she was very young yeah so the same she was friends with them yeah (laughs) like (laughs) that sounds so odd they befriended her I even think it's weird for them to have like put that in the report like they befriended her or they like lured her around her yes grooming her that's a way better word 100% then befriended. Yeah. Yeah. They're not friends with her. They're grooming her. So Patricia, she's pictured sitting on this sofa with Myra. The couple would invite this girl over to Myra's grandma's house all the time. And then they would also take her on walks. Quote, I used to go to the house very regularly after I got to know them. I have had wine there. I would have about four glasses of wine. Wait, (laughs) what? (laughs) Wine. She would have a wine there? Yeah. A 10-year-old? Yeah. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. Yeah. She. Where where were her parents? Yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't the parents have more likely been friends with them than? Yeah. I wonder, like, if she even, like, did she live with her parents? Was she living with her grandparents, maybe? Like, who was she living with? And if she was living with her parents, were they watching her? Were they Why not would these adults her? let her go over? Yeah. I don't know if they and hang just weren't with worried. a couple. Like they thought, oh, like she's going over to that old lady's house. Like, I don't know if they realized. The yeah. Like, I wonder if they didn't even realize that she was hanging out with Ian and Myra specifically. But I'd also think that a 10 year old would get pretty drunk off of wine because they're like little. Yeah. You think they would notice when she came home at night? But I mean, yeah. I usually ask like, hey, how'd the night go? What'd you do? Right. Who was there? Yeah. What happened? If she'd been drinking, you think they would notice? Yeah. 
you would think. So I'm not sure how her home life was, if they were Mm. super involved. Interesting. And that little girl's lucky that she wasn't a victim of them. Yeah, absolutely. Of them? Of them. them. I say that all the time. Of them. I've realized since (laughs) podcasting that I always say, um, like for them. And then there was like, er, for her, M for him. I'm like, why am I not saying the whole word? It's annoying. (laughs) (laughs) That must be something over here. Like to say, um, instead of them. Yeah. Of them. Yeah. So on these walks, they were often taken near where Ian and Myra had buried some of their victims. So in Patricia's statement to police, she describes how she went out to the moors with Myra around 1130 PM on Christmas Eve in 1994. At that time, Patricia was 11 years old. And that was just two days before Leslie was abducted on December 26, 1964. So while Myra had Patricia out here in the literal middle of the night, like we said, so weird, she's having her drink whiskey, gin, and wine, which makes me think she probably got her pretty out Mm -hmm. of it. And I don't know why they had her do this. As far as I can tell, Patricia says that she wasn't abused by Ian Myra sexually or physically. And in the middle of the night? Like, like I, what time are we thinking here? 11.30 to like 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? So the actual How, how can a 10-year-old even night? be out that late? I know. That's what's so weird about like what, who was watching her like at her home? Apparently nobody really. It makes, it freaks me out a little bit that they were getting her so drunk all the time too because I just like hope she wasn't like out of it and doesn't remember things. Oh, yeah. Because that seems weird that they're letting her drink because she says she wasn't abused in any way by them. And I hope she was not. But them feeding her alcohol all the time seems really Mm -hmm. weird. So, like we said, don't understand why she's out here in the middle of the night. Don't understand where her parents are. But when they're out there, Myra tells Patricia that they should spend the night out there. So she wants to like have a sleepover out on the moors, I guess. So I don't know what ends up happening, but they do not spend the night there. Thankfully, Myra does take her home at 1.30 a.m. on Christmas Day. Good. Now, again, that's the day before they abduct and murder Leslie and Downey, who's also, you know, 10 years old. So one year younger than Patricia at that time. Now, why, I wonder why they didn't do anything to Patricia. They do have this rule that they didn't want to kill people that were close to them. They had all these rules. And I'll kind of talk about that when we get into their backgrounds and how they met and kind of how they get to this point. But they have that rule, but they also don't follow that rule like ever. So, okay. (laughs) But they were getting some sort of, like, even though they maybe weren't physically or sexually abusing her they were doing very like weird things and getting like sick pleasure from some of the things they did like with her or had her do so I think that is still abusive in some way because they're just sick Mm -hmm. so these files on Patricia's statement they were released by the British National Archives under Britain's Freedom of Information Act and Alan West he's Anne West's husband so Alan is Anne's is Leslie's stepdad. And he says, quote, little Pat Hodges was amazingly lucky. Why Brady didn't kill her, only he knows. 
So they obviously didn't kill Patricia, but they did do some messed up stuff to her. So they recorded her reading newspaper reports about their missing victims. Ian and Myra were taking this little girl out to the moors one to two times a week. And they would take these little shovels and these sacks and they'd fill them up with bins, like with bits of land. So they'd dig into the land, they'd put it in the sack, and then they'd bring it home. And I'm assuming they were probably doing this near areas where they had buried victims' bodies. So getting this pleasure out of this little girl having like a piece of this grave site or whatever. So like dirt? Dirt yeah. was in the sacks? Yes. Like just dirt. Weird. Which is what makes me think it has to be where like part of their grave sites. And their burial yeah. sites. Because why else would they do that? And why would they get this little girl involved? It, it is so weird. They probably used her in between their killings to try and, you know, get some sort of little bit of pleasure out of what they had done. Mm -hmm. Now, once the police hear this, they have this bright idea when they ask Patricia if she can take them on a walk wherever Ian and Myra would take her. Police knew Ian and Myra had to have gotten some sort of sick pleasure out of hanging out with this girl and taking her on these walks. Now, remember, in the evidence collected after Edward Evans' murder, there were a bunch of photographs found. And I told you there were photographs of Ian and Myra out on the moors. So while the police are being led around by Patricia, they're also checking these photos out. They're seeing if they can connect any landmarks. And as they search the land day after day, they're using all of this information they had gathered until October 16, 1965. And this was just 10 days after Edward Edward's murder. And they find the body of Leslie Ann Downey. So Ann West, she had to go identify Leslie's body on top of listening to that audio tape. And it was, in fact, Leslie. So they found the body from Patricia helping them? Yeah, so... Show them where they found the gravesite, basically? Yeah, so Patricia, Patricia took them the police. Yep, on their like the path of their walks. And Leslie's body ends up being buried right next to these rocks that Les that Myra and Ian would always take Patricia on. So she pretty much led them right to it. They use those photos to kind of connect everything. And that's how they find Leslie's body, basically wow. because of Patricia. Yeah, a little 12-year-old girl. But they didn't think she was going <laughs> to be that smart. Be able to do that, yeah. yeah. Well, the couple, not the police. Like the couple didn't think she'd be able to lead them out and kind of connect these dots yeah I'm sure they did not think that mm -hmm. yeah it's really cool well good for so her so now it's time to talk to Myra and Ian obviously and get a confession so officers Benfield and Tyrrell start up some interviews and at this point Ian and Myra they have no idea the police have even found any evidence in these two murders let alone the body of Leslie they don't know that police found the audio tapes, the pictures, nothing. So when they show Myra the tapes and the clothes and say they found the body of Leslie, Myra just says she has nothing to say. She says she's ashamed of herself and she just leaves it at that. Yeah, she should be but, ashamed of herself yeah, <laughs> for luring 100%. her away from the fair. Like, as you should be, but I don't think she actually feels any remorse for the things she did. I think she just is like playing it up like oh I'm so ashamed 
but she just doesn't want to go to prison. Mm -hmm. So it's during Ian's interview that he ends up confessing to the fact that he did take the photos of Leslie and that it was him being heard on the tape. And he confesses this after police have him listen to the tape. Because when they show him the evidence, like her clothes and the white necklace, and they tell him that they found Leslie's body, he first is like, I have, again, I have nothing to say. He's kind of like Myra. Like, I, I don't want to talk about it. But now, after they show him this audio tape, he is saying that, okay, he did know her. He did abuse her. But that she was alive the last time he saw her. He is saying that after this tape was recorded, he did not kill her. Ian says that David Smith and David's friend brought Leslie to him for the photos. He wanted the photos. He's admitting to being a creep. And then after David takes her, he says that's the last time he ever saw her. So David Smith, obviously, remember, is Myra's brother-in-law, the one from part one that was lured into being present at Edward's murder and then very quickly turned Ian and Myra in for the murder. David is the reason these two were caught and arrested. So now Ian is trying to take him down and like pull him in, probably as like revenge. Yeah, I'm trying to put the blame telling. on him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Make him look suspicious. Yes. So now police are kind of thinking that they need to interrogate David as well. Because if he wasn't just an innocent bystander in all of this, if he wasn't really lured over to Edward's murder, was he actually participating in these murders? So David is brought in and they're asking him about the clothing found and the body found. And he's like absolutely mortified. He was already shocked during the night of Edward's murder when he witnessed people he trusted murdering a young man. But this is a 10-year-old girl. He had no idea. And it's sickening for him to even think that these two were capable of that. And he most definitely was not involved. But the police can't write him off yet. Because how do they know he isn't just trying to keep his freedom? So they play the tape of Leslie and Downey in that interrogation room for David to hear. And just kind of the same way that they had played it for Myra and Ian, who each barely had any reaction to it. Myra said she's shameful, and I guess Ian listened while holding his head in his hands. But then as the tape plays for David, tears start to stream down his face. He ends up in like a full-blown sob like he's bawling he can't even believe what he's hearing Myra and Ian are far worse than he even imagined still even after seeing them murder Edward and this solidifies for police their trust in David many of them had the same reaction to the mm. tapes this seems like the normal reaction of someone who did not expect what was about to be played yeah you could see that it would be super emotional yes like, that would be traumatizing to hear something like that. Like a torture of the little girl. Yeah. And then them probably seeing Myra and Ian's reactions just before this. And there's nothing. Like, they're just like, oh. Well, yeah. And and I'm sure you could tell it was um, Ian's mm -hmm. voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, all in all, they're able to rule David out. So, police know that Myra and Ian killed Leslie. And now it was time to find John Kilbride. So they go back to their resources again, 
they searched the moors, remembering where Patricia had walked them, looking at photos of Ian and Myra posing. So one of the photos taken of Myra posing on the moors had been taken while standing on the grave of John Kilbride. So now police connect it. These photos could be little hints to where John was. So Myra had, they had photographs of Myra standing in certain places in on the, the moors. moors. Yes. Okay. So there's this officer, Officer Munsey, and he takes another officer with him as well as this crime scene photographer out to the moors to help search and identify landmarks that match the photos they have. So they have this photographer with them so they can, he can kind of take pictures and they can compare like, does this look like the same area, you mm-hmm. know, on this photo? And remember that dog that Myra and Ian have, that dog named Puppet that we talked about in part one? Mm-hmm. Well, as they're walking, they see some landmarks that seem to match a photo of Myra squatting down holding Puppet. So they circle the area, they're making sure it matches, and they find some softer ground. And one officer, he grabs a stick and he starts poking it in the soft area. And then the stick slides down in the dirt and it goes in pretty far. And then when he pulls the stick from the ground, there is just this smell that radiates into all of their nostrils. And that is the smell of decomposition. Yes, I know. So he just stuck that stick in there. And like when he brought it out, they immediately knew. Mm -hmm. They just knew. And the photo matched the burial site. So this photo had been taken on purpose to document their trip back to this area to to relive their crimes. Myra is not only holding Puppet, but she is happily looking towards the ground, where just below her is John Kilbride. But we can't see him. He's buried just below her, but she's like smiling (sighs) at the ground and holding her dog. Oh, what a psycho. Isn't that so screwed up? Yeah. 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 Crazy. They probably so, thought they were so smart jo- and taking all these pictures. Oh, yeah. They thought they were so cool. They were just cool. leaving all these mm-hmm. little yep. pieces to get it caught. so screwed up. So, John, he is obviously brought out of this where he's buried. And before having John's family identify him, police want to make sure that this really is him. John's body was actually very decomposed at this point. Remember, he was killed back in 1963, a couple years earlier, and the police didn't want to traumatize his family that was already missing him. If this wasn't John, they did not need to see this decomposed body. So they choose to take a shoe that was on John and have his parents identify that first. Remember, we said on the day he went missing, he was wearing black shoes. And when Sheila and Patrick see this, they crumble. It was most definitely John's shoe. And then Sheila is the one who goes with police to identify her son's body. Now, because of his decomposition, it wasn't like she could recognize his face. But she saw that jacket, the jacket with the football buttons running down it. And she was actually the one who had sewn those buttons onto the jacket. So once she saw that, she knew this was her son. She knew. Yeah. Yeah. Sheila also, if you don't remember from earlier, she's the mother who set the dinner place for John every night. The one who hoped he'd come home. Mm -hmm. But on this day, of course, all those hopes are taken from her. 
And Ian Brady, he eventually confesses that Myra and him did kill John Kilbride. And they did take that photo of her looking at his grave as a sick and twisted joke. They enjoyed poking fun at what they had done and reliving it in these ways. He also finally admits that Edward Evans' death was no accident, that he struck him with that axe 14 times intentionally. But he sticks to his confession about Leslie, that he photographed her but did not kill her. So I don't know if it's just... Yeah, because he wants. I think so. I think he just really wants David tied because remember with Edward, too, they did tie something of David's like a string or a shoelace to Edward's body. And I know they like bring that up to police like, oh, that thing of David's is on that body. And now they're trying to tie him here. So I'm assuming if they think if police think he's in more than one murder it's like maybe more believable or he's more likely to get in trouble so ian and myra they do have to await trial while in prison and they always had to be protected because the public hated these sickos obviously so much Mm -hmm. as they should so in court they're actually protected by like a glass wall and then they also have to be taken to hearings in these like decoy cars remember that had to happen in the james bulger murder the two 10 year olds that killed him they had to be taken in decoy cars because people were so angry and it's like in that case I understand it a little more because those kids who killed him were kids they were 10 but Ian and Myra like they're adults it's like let if someone gets to him let it happen (laughs) I'm fine with that, actually. Just let it happen. That's they can too easy of be a death, beat up. Though. I know. They should well, suffer maybe not a even while. a death. Maybe just like they get their car pulled over, they get jumped a little, <laughs> and then they go to their trial. But so they did go with decoy cars. And there is actually one point where a bunch of the public outside, like of these trials, did attack a car and get into it, but it was a decoy. Oh. So they were. They were really out for them to get them. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, I understand it, though. I would want to. I feel like I'd feel the same way. Well, you always hear like if you hurt kids and stuff in prison, you're like dead meat. Mm-hmm. Yes, because people don't like that. That's not OK. People don't look kindly upon others who hurt children. No, no. They're the most innocent things on this planet. It's sad. So through their trial, they're kind of together the whole time, which sucks because they're tried together. They're not tried separately. Oh, which did you see that about Lori Vallow? What are they? And they were trying to get him to separate theirs as well. But they said no yesterday. I saw that on the news. Oh, they're trying them together. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Did they clear her now? And they said it was really hard to do them together because of her like insanity stuff. Mm-hmm. But the judge said, nope, we're doing it together. It's just easier that way. Because of her insanity stuff that she makes yeah. up. It's like, <laughs> no. Nope. insanity stuff. There was many years of manipulation as we learned in our really long four-part coverage of that case. <gasps> yeah. So they're getting tried together, too. Good. Yeah. And we do have the death penalty in Idaho. Not that I necessarily mm-hmm. agree with it, but... If someone's going to get it, they should. I'm okay with it being them. 
So I'm curious. I'm curious. So, and it's, it's just annoying. Like in this trial, I don't know how they do it now. Obviously this was a long time ago, 1965, but they just straight up like let Myrinian stand together, sit together. Like there's certain points in the trial where he's like holding her hand. They're like talking to each other no. through the trial. Disgusting. Yeah, it's like, okay, try them together. They shouldn't let them touch. No, try them together. <laughs> but at their little seat with their lawyers, like one's on one end, one's on the Separate other. Separate them. You don't get to talk. <laughs> they don't get to see each other. Because when they're sitting there in prison and like I'm sure they just love to see each other especially Myra because she's so obsessed with him like they probably look forward to going to their trials it's like no do it together but have have them sit separately Mm -hmm. so that's where I'm going to end this for today and next time we're going to dive into the backgrounds of Myra Henley and Ian Brady and how they met each other how they kind of came to do all of this some of like the weird things that they did together and then we'll get into the trial and police actually have two more murders left to discover and connect to Ian and Myra. But I'm trying to go in chronological order, kind of how police are finding it out. Mm -hmm. And they don't actually find out about those other two murders until 20 years after this. 20? 20 years. Oh, that's so long. So How do they yeah. even so, find uh, out? Now I'm curious. Uh, it's so crazy. Like 20 oh. years. It's sad for the families of these two. I mean, it's sad for obviously yeah. every family. Thankfully, the, Leslie's family and John's family. Leslie's family had to wait a year, which would be devastating. John's two years. Like that's such a long time. But then... 20 years. Were they all in the moors? Sadly, there's still one body actually that's never been recovered. Oh my gosh. Was it in the moors? <laughs> I can't wait. Why didn't they just dig up that whole place? I know. Like this other kid they killed. I wonder how big it was. Be out there. I heard something when I was listening on Morbid Podcast, she said something about it being like 400 miles of just like vast land. Oh. like it, I was thinking it was like a little trail behind the house. No. It is like Dang. vast land. Wow. Yes. Well, so. that's why they didn't dig up the moors. <laughs> yes. That's why they didn't dig up the whole thing. I read something and I don't know if this is true, but in the, when I said that the British, what was that? The um, British National Archives released this. I read something in that, that it said the rest of the information won't be released until 2062 because it might upset the families. So I'm wondering if that audio tape in 2062 is then going to be released to the public. The audio tape? Or like they more found information. more audio tapes? No, you know, the audio tape with Leslie, it's banned. Like no one can hear it. There's not even a full oh. transcript. I think what oh. what was transcripted is just a small portion that that documentary maybe did, um, like in connection with Leslie's mom. But mm-hmm. they've never released the full details or the audio or anything. Mm. So I, I thought that was weird when I read that. 2062. I was like, how old will I be? Because I don't want to listen to it. But I also always go and look up things that I regret. Huh. Well, her mom's already heard it. Yeah, her mom's already heard it, but like I don't think the siblings have. 
her dad, her, and her mom has actually only heard Um. one minute of it to identify her voice. Probably pretty bad. Yeah. This is like a sad story. So, all right, we'll end it there and then we will be back for part three. Thanks for listening today, guys. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. I research, write, and edit this show as well. My mom, Alicia Jenkins, is the co-host, and my daughter, Charlie Waters, gives us our palate cleanser every week. Our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at InPajamasMusic. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you get the chance. Visit our website at www.TrueCrimeExposedPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters, and I am going to be giving you a palate cleanser. And I am going to be talking about whales. And did you know we are going to be talking about um, whales not leaving and, I mean, whales not eating for a month, 12 months? Whales only eat four months out of the year, which means they don't eat, eat. Eat most of the year. They feed in the polar waters when it's summer in the northern hemispheres. Oh, and how do whales have that blowout thing that they blow out water? Whales are able to survive because they make a lot of blubber. And they save it for the winter months. Bye. Have a great day. If you visit victimsupport.org.uk, you're going to find a website where you can get involved or where you can reach out if you need help. They are all about supporting anyone who is affected by crime. They are an independent charity. You can talk to them whether or not you've reported the crime to police. If you want, they can support you without the involvement of the criminal justice system. And they won't contact them about you unless they feel someone is at risk. They are only there to support you. On their website, you can find how to get help, how they can help, people they've helped, your rights, what you can do, coping with crime, keeping safe, young victims of crime, and information. So go ahead and visit victimssupport.org.uk if you need help or if you want to donate to this charity. Till next time, stay safe out there.